Are you a man looking for an intensive program to help you overcome sexually addictive behaviors? Gateway to Freedom is your answer. Gateway to Freedom is a three-day workshop for men seeking to overcome any destructive sexual habits. Whether married, single, or divorced, Gateway to Freedom will help men regain hope for a new life of purity and real contentment. The workshop is conducted by experts in the field of sexual addiction recovery with decades of combined experience. Read testimonials of of workshop alumni at gatewaymen.com. Get all the info and register online at gatewaymen.com or call 1-800-49-PURITY. Hi, my name is Jonathan, and I'm the founder of the Gateway to Freedom Workshop. I want to personally invite you to be part of our next workshop coming up July 22nd through the 24th in Colorado. So call us today at 1-800-49-PURITY or visit gatewaymen.com. Welcome to Pure Sex Radio, training men, educating women. Are you ready to get real and start living each day in purity? This dynamic program is designed to educate, encourage, and equip listeners with the tools necessary for living a life of sexual purity. Pure Sex Radio brings you the best in mobile talk radio. Listen to real life struggles, learn how to overcome lust, pornography, and sex addiction, and get serious about purity. Good day, radio listeners. Welcome to this week's edition of the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. We're glad to have you with us. My name is Jonathan, and we have a special guest in the studio today. She's actually present with us. This is Gina Kay. So, Gina, welcome to the program. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, she came all the way down from Austin. So, normally we do these kind of things over the phone. So, it's good to have you actually in the studio. Well, uh, before we get started, listeners, I just wanted to let you know we've got a couple of workshops coming up over the summer, as well as a mentor training seminar that's happening in San Antonio. So we've got our Gateway to Freedom Workshop, our three-day intensive for men. That's coming up July 22nd through the 24th in Colorado, and then also August 12th through the 14th in Texas. And you can get information about that at gatewaymen.com. And then we are also doing a mentor training seminar to train men who are a little bit further down the road uh, in their recovery to be able to come alongside guys that are just getting started. And that is happening on July 16th in San Antonio, Texas. And you can get more information about that at recoverymentoring.com. So Gina, this is great to be able to sit down with you. You and I were able to kind of meet and talk a little bit more at the Set Free Summit that happened earlier this year in North Carolina. Right. And We'd, we'd connected a little bit before that, um, and you were just sharing about some of the things you were doing, some of the work you were doing uh, to try to help women and just really address this issue of pornography and sexual brokenness and how it just applies to relationships and especially coming from that the, the female angle and saying, okay, this is kind of what women go through and how you can come alongside and maybe provide a voice and resources for women. So why don't you just share with our listeners mm-hmm. How you got into this work and kind of where you have gone in your own story and just kind of how you've gotten to this point. Um, And then we'll get into maybe some of the insights you've learned along the way. Right. Thank you. 
Well, my heart is for partners that are survivors of sexual betrayal. Um, I moved to Austin, Texas right after graduating from college. And it was when I moved to Austin that I started attending uh, the church where my parents were going and met a gentleman there. Um, He was the youth director. He was on staff at the church. And I started volunteering with the youth. And um, quickly we fell in love and... um, we had lots of support and encouragement to get married. We we got married, had a huge wedding. And um, it wasn't very uh, far into marriage that I discovered and learned um, from him that he had uh, an issue with pornography. So um, it actually took us another 10 years to get the term sex addiction and to learn mm. about it as an addiction. Um, sadly, I th- think the struggle when it when it doesn't cross the flesh barrier, it's minimized mm-hmm. and misunderstood. And, um, um, and, and th- we're growing in awareness as a culture that it can, it functions like a drug, but it, I basically, I married an addict mm-hmm. and started to experience that situation. Now, what was that discovery process like? Cause you had this 10 mm-hmm. year period where you were either addressing this or, calling it by a different name or trying to figure it out, what was that like to kind of just be on that merry-go-round, so to speak, without maybe having uh, a lot of, I mean, you were obviously uh, experiencing the effects of that behavior, but what was it like to kind of be in a fog in terms of understanding some of the deeper dynamics of what that causes in a person? Right. I mean, that's a great way to say it is like being in a fog because, the overwhelming feelings were feelings of like um, shock and um, mistrust Mm -hmm. and kind of in this like um, confusion, trying to reconcile the person that I thought I knew and wanted to know with these behaviors that didn't fit what I um, believed. And, you know, and here our life uh, very much was happening in the context of a church community and high involvement, you know, with him being on staff at a church, and I was actually working in a nonprofit that was addressing sexual health issues. Mm. So when this came up, it was like I didn't want anyone to think differently of him or me. You know, it was like we're not we're not supposed to have issues. Sure, like, yeah. yeah, I mean, and we were leaders. People came to us with their problems. So to start to have this sense that like there's a problem, um, and no, not knowing who to talk to. Now, what kind of pressure did you feel being? Married to someone on staff in a church, mm-hmm. y'all both being leaders, kind of being the people that others would come to. And did you feel like you had any place to take this? Because sometimes, and the reason I'm saying this, right. I think so many leaders, especially, and I, when I say leaders, listener, I'm talking about leadership at any capacity. If sure. you're if you're the leader of a Sunday school class, or you're a leader at your work, or what, mm-hmm. you know, we're not talking about national leaders. We're talking about just somebody that's that people look up to. Right. It's almost like there's somewhat of a different pressure, right? That how can where can you go for help? Well, exactly. <laughs> um, well, and. I hadn't heard of people talking openly about this. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like there was someone I knew to go to or ever heard it being addressed in the church. I mean, and for me, this was over 15 years ago when this went down. I think ch- good changes are happening, but I think the same struggles still exist today when you're a leader of um, 
not knowing where to go and Mm. just being bound by shame. I mean, shame and stigma are powerful and even denial. Like I, I had the hardest time facing this. I didn't want this to be part of our story. Sure. And I operated out of that. It was like, well, and, and just trying to put this kind of to the side and where I did go was making phone calls to therapists. You know, Mm -hmm. that was a resource to me, something, someone outside the church, someone that didn't know us where we could be anonymous. Um, one of our dynamics and patterns was that I would run down help. Mm. Looking back, I wish I had asked him, what are you going to do? And let him do that. But it was out of my fear and desperation. And I think that wanting to fix it and believing that there were quick fixes, because at the time I didn't, I wasn't as educated. I didn't how long it, it kind of takes, you know, and the hard work over time. And really the breaking through the the shame and secrecy is crucial. But don't you think that's a fairly common response that most wives have when they mm-hmm. discover their husband's secret is they have that, I'm going to do the research. I'm going to get the answers. Mm-hmm. Oh, and how does that actually end up being counterproductive in those situations, I mean, you've you you lived it. You've I got lived the, it. You've got right. the a benefit of hindsight. I do. How would you tell those wives who are out there mm-hmm. right now who are in that fix it mode mm-hmm. how that is actually not as helpful as you think it might be? Right. Well, and you said something earlier about like the merry-go-round. I forget what mm-hmm. term you use, but it does it, it creates this cycle of like, um, I'm going to do something to try to alleviate this pain and tension for me. And if if it if they're who if the person who's struggling is not taking full ownership, then it's tempting for them to just do things to appease. Mm-hmm. Because if it, whoever's in the driver's seat is the one who's caring more about it right. and driving right. it, and so then the appeasement can happen, which then can create a, an illusion of recovery happening, and then can put. Um, like for me, it put me at ease for a while. And then I would trust and wait and believe that that something was going to get better only for the discovery to happen again. And that's what would create the merry-go-round and then going cycling over and over again. And the phrase about you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's a role for a spouse and as much as um, in a non-reactionary way, but in a like, like an honest, raw um way explaining what this means how it feels what the fears the feelings behind it and saying like I'm with you in this and I will journey with you in this but you need to own this Mm -hmm. and I think that's you know there's two things one I think is if you keep going on that merry-go-round where the wife is kind of taking ownership for what the husband needs to take ownership for mm-hmm. is it creates I think bitterness in both parties right because the wife keeps getting frustrated that she's got to drag her husband forward in all these ways that she thinks he should be doing but he's not and then the husband mm-hmm. grows increasingly bitter towards just having to feel like he's got to appease his wife and he doesn't really want to change. And so that can that can start to happen. And I think, too, in this idea of ownership, don't you think the maybe one of the hardest things for a wife to go through is not just allowing her husband to own what he needs to own, but then her being able to to own what she needs to. Now, hear me out. Mm -hmm. I am not making this a she's owning things 
in a blame kind of way. What I'm talking about is there does come a point, don't you think, that a wife has to look in the mirror for her own healing. And that can be very painful to be able to say, you know, this was maybe instigated by what I learned about my husband in all, in all these feelings coming up. Right. But now I'm discovering there's brokenness in me that needs healing. There's there's a journey that I need to go on that is also independent of my husband in terms of my own healing. In the same way, he's got a recovery journey that he must go on that's really independent of his wife, that his wife can't control. Of course, he can't control her. And how does a wife deal with that very difficult realization? Right. Well, and um, they talk about for the the wife, the spouse, the partner, which I do want to just clarify. I mean, this, this happens to men as well mm-hmm. as women. Um, but it, there is a disproportionately there there's more women being affected by this issue but it's a shattering event when this happens it shatters and it it cuts deep and um they call sexual addictions an intimacy disorder Mm -hmm. and i think that's where you know to address what you're saying there is such a need when when this kind of discovery happens and the pain is there and and the mess is out for help talking and and being able to get to the deep feelings and learn. Um, usually the couple needs help communicating and you do, it starts with work as individuals. I know for me, like in my recovery journey, I had to learn how to, um, how to find those safe places just to heal. I needed to heal as an individual from the wounds that had happened and the injuries through the betrayal and the discoveries. And then I needed to learn things like boundaries. And then I had to learn how to communicate them in ways mm-hmm. that keep, that could be heard. And not that I did this perfectly. Like you said, some of this is all in hindsight of just realizing like, I, I mean, we lost safety in our relationship, and I now know how crucial things like trust and safety are to a, a marriage and a relationship. Um, but he didn't feel safe with me. I didn't feel safe with him. Mm-hmm. And that's where you're right. Like, we both ha- needed to kind of go find our own supports and um, and therapy and do w- – the work is is really – it's the opportunity to heal. It's, it's an invitation to like, you're bleeding Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I see it and you're wounded. And this is what often outside people don't see when they hear about it, especially I think with porn, like, I feel like my story is a, is an insidious version of this because to my knowledge, even today, it has not crossed the flesh barrier. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, there's no needles, there's no alcohol, there's no bloodshot eyes. It's, he's always been quote functioning it is so hard to see mm-hmm. and to have evidence. And what's weird in this, I mean, I've been one of those women that's sometimes long for like, could he just get arrested or could I just have an STD or could we just have something tangible? And that's part of the mm-hmm. the struggle. Now, you talk about safe places to heal. If you were to try to help a wife out there get an understanding of what a safe place looks like. Mm-hmm. I mean, what a safe place for a woman looks like right. um, uh, or for a spouse. I mean, but right. what would that look like? What What are the qualities of a safe place for healing? Right. I think it begins with um, someone that understands, <laughs> that gets mm-hmm. this on some level or gets um, the 
the complexities that is that does not have pat answers or quick solutions. Um, that's a beginning place. A, a crucial part of safety is uh, of non-judgment. I mean, that's a hallmark of safety mm-hmm. is if someone is um, quick to judge or, or want to tell you where you're wrong or direct you. I mean, that, that breaks safety. And so that's the beauty of some of like the 12 step programs as you walk in. I mean, they even set out rules if you're not to give someone mm-hmm. feedback, you know, right. you're to, you're to listen, you're to, tr- um, and that's what people need is a place to be heard, to be understood, um, to be trusted that they actually can walk this road and have good ideas for themselves and that they're not helpless victims. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- these are, we're strong people that just need people next to us helping us take the steps that we need to take. And one of the things, too, that I think, you know, we see this on the side of guys getting recovery, but I think it also applies to uh, just creating an environment of respect for for spouses in these situations. Because sometimes mm-hmm. it is, I mean, let's just be honest, it's insulting to a person's intelligence when, um, you know, if I have a guy that comes in who's been looking at pornography, you know, for decades, mm-hmm. and my first words out of my mouth are, well, you should stop doing that. Well, that's a, just an insult to his intelligence. It's like, oh, wow, I've never right. thought of that before, that that would be a solution. <laughs> so I think sometimes we have to be careful, like you said, with those pat answers mm-hmm. and those those really, it's almost condescending. And it's saying, this totally. is a person in real pain. This is... Um, this is not an issue of intelligence. Right. I mean, these are smart, strong people that are tangled up in a, in a mess. Well, that's part of what I think keeps people quiet is they're mm-hmm. like, they know something and they're struggling being believed. You know, they're like, they want to be understood and trusted and trusted even when they're coming forward that this is a big deal. There is something terribly wrong. There is something that needs attention. And this is why it is so important. I mean, like what we're trying to do in terms of continually bringing a voice to the culture that says, Mm -hmm. no, really, porn is very destructive and harmful. Because let's take your situation, for example. It can be very difficult for a wife when her husband has this secret porn problem. He hasn't crossed the flesh boundary. He's not doing drugs. He's not getting drunk. He's... And and then also add to that, he's a leader in the church. Mm-hmm. And here comes this wife who, well, what is wrong with you, Gina? Why are you trying to drag this guy through the mud? He is an upstanding, incredible citizen. I can't even believe what you're telling me. Or and sometimes you it's feel... more subtle than that, too. I mean, so, like the responses I got was was like, yeah, this sounds, you know, this is a problem. Let us help. Very grace-based. And then they would take what I was saying and turn it into sin language. You know, well, this is sin. And, you know, and, and we we don't shoot the injured and we have grace for this and let us come alongside of you and let us help. And because as time went on in our journey, I did get more, um, more vocal and would break silence with certain key individuals, starting mm-hmm. with like his parents, you know, assuming, well, they're the ones that know and love him the most. And then eventually um, did break silence to elders at, at the church where he was a senior pastor, because at mm-hmm. that point it was like, this is going on too long. Yeah. But, um, well, and the thing is, I think it's, it, it is important to understand the distinction. And I think a lot of wives and even just 
people out there need to understand this in the church, especially that while it is true that we, you know, we don't shoot our wounded, mm-hmm. it is equally true that we don't allow cancer to spread through the body. Thank you. <laughs> that's what I, well, and that is, that is what I want the church to hear. And that's the wake up call to the church. And and the church is waking up to this is, and really our story is, a, is evidence that it is a cancer and it will spread. And in the professional world of addiction recovery, you know, they talk in the language of this being a progressive illness and that it escalates and all of that. In the spiritual world, we know, I mean, it erodes this, the heart, mind, and soul. Mm-hmm. And um, our tipping point, the crisis that where the bottom fell out was when he had a crisis of faith. Um, he now identifies as an atheist. Mm-hmm. Um, so at that point, which in our story was four years ago, um, he, after 20 years of seminary vocational ministry, um, resigned from his life's work, became unemployed, and that's when everything started unraveling. So, uh, you know, we talked about being at the Set Free Global Summit together that Josh McDowell Ministries and Covenant Eyes and Barna Group host. Uh, the quote from Josh McDowell that promoted that conference said, nothing erodes a person's faith faster than internet pornography. Mm-hmm. And with one sentence, he validated what ha- what I saw and had a front row seat to and because I, I could not separate that event and what, you know, this sad story that, you know, was very public, this crisis of faith from his longstanding issues with Internet porn. But somehow he was able to go through that whole journey, convincing other people, including elders of our church, that they were unrelated. Mm-hmm. And that's the sadness. I've seen the breakdown where people don't understand. And that's just it. I, there's a really simple little phrase that I use all the time with our guys in recovery, and I think it's true. And I say, feet follow focus. Hmm. So the whatever you get more and more intently focused on, hmm. you will move in that direction. Eventually, you will be walking in that direction. So hmm. if a person is habitually consuming pornography, and honestly, there's been plenty of scientific research that now mm-hmm. totally backs this up about the idea of what you do pour into your mind matters in terms of how you behave. There's there's studies about video games. There's certainly studies now about pornography. And so this idea that we can disconnect, right. that we can say, no, listen, I can be watching three hours of porn every day and totally be this pillar of faith in my community. No, no, no. Mm-mm. You're just, you're gorging on lies about sexuality, about intimacy, about human beings, about right. the value of life. And so I think it's natural that we go that direction. I did want to ask you mm-hmm. um, just maybe some other insights maybe that you've gained that you would love to pass along to spouses that are maybe going through this this kind of a situation where they've either made discovery or maybe they've they've known for a while and it's just seeming like that merry-go-round. So what would you offer to those uh, spouses out there that are just wanting to maybe understand some healthy ways to address this and, and what they can do? Right. Well, I have met countless others along the way. And so I do see themes in my story and theirs that um, that I think are of value to share. Um, so one theme that I see is just the struggle to speak our truth. 
And that begins by speaking the truth to ourself. I mean, denial and minimization are thick in our culprits, not just for the person struggling with an addiction, but also family members. And um, coming to terms with our reality, looking at it for what it is, accepting it for what it is, you know, not trying to run from, I don't want this, this can't be, but, you know, looking at it for what it is, you know, when these things come up. Um, accepting it and and speaking our truth to ourself, being willing to take those hard steps of like, okay, given the situation that I wouldn't have chose, what next? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think appropriately speaking our truth to others because breaking through silence and hiding is crucial, again, to everyone involved. And um, the silence didn't serve us. It didn't. And it's it's taken me over 15 years to get to this point. So I understand it. And there's an appropriateness to holding information. But Mm -hmm. again, what I would say to other people is like, there is something detrimental. And I see it in our story. And I see it in others. Um, and, and I get why we don't speak up (laughs) because again, we have, we need safe people and it causes more trauma when we speak up and we get the judgment and we get the, the, um, a variety of things, you know, that are not helpful on the other Mm -hmm. end. But, um, I would still encourage, you know, that there's value in that in appropriate ways, starting to speak our truth, breaking through the shame. Um, the other thing that I th- I see as a th- kind of a theme in the stories is this desperate search for resources. There is a struggle of where do I go, where do I turn, what's out there, and um, for you know I see in my story it was a long journey to get to specialized help, mm-hmm. and it I I still I'm like okay why did it take that long to get that education of knowing what therapists are trained and certified in this. Um, and so that that's part of, I know we'll get to this a little bit more, but the mission I'm on now is like, I want to draw attention to this and we need to elevate the resources and educate about what's out there and help connect people to specialized help. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go ahead and talk about that. I mean, what are some of the things that you are doing in your work now uh, to actually try and help people in that way, uh, help spouses? I mean, what are some of the things mm-hmm. that you are doing or, or some direction that you would point people in? Right. Well, I stepped into the professional world of addiction recovery about two years ago by attending a national conference. And from that point on, I've sought certifications and gone to key conferences around the country. And um, I, I see that I have a unique contribution to make. My background's health education. I'm not looking to be a therapist or a life coach to run support groups. I am a spokesperson and an educator, and I am here to help direct and guide and draw attention to what others are doing. And I think I've been uniquely prepared for this and, and even to be in both worlds, like the professional worlds and the addiction worlds also, but also understanding and knowing firsthand the church, mm-hmm. having grown up and, and worked in church culture. Um, and we need to value each other and we need to see each other as, as resources. Um, so I, I've been working on developing my platform, and, and my website is ginak.org. That's G-I-N-A-K-A-Y-E.org. And um, that is that is my, my name. Um, and it is a place where uh, I am telling my story. I'm um, explaining what I can do as far as education and speaking up and out. And then I'm also giving voice to the stories, to other Mm -hmm. people's stories, because there's power in stories. And then my long-term vision is to create a center. And um, 
it's going to be a process like and I'm looking for others to join me on the road and they have, you know, of like, what is the even the name of the center? Mm-hmm. And this place, you know, where we can house existing resources and and sort through them, you know, the categorize workbooks, books, um, movies, blogs, um, therapists, uh, support groups, you know, because within all these categories, there's so many different resources and they exist, but there's no central place. Like when you Google, there's no central resource or hub that comes up that will help you sort through this and, and educate you about like, oh, okay, look for this certification or this certification. Or did you know, if you're looking for a support group, you can consider a 12-step group. There's also phone support groups. There's mm-hmm. also web-based communities. Um, there's also intensive retreats that exist. So I I want to help in this arena is to elevate resources and conversation. Mm-hmm. What are maybe some uh, just closing thoughts here in our last minute of, of as you picture the spouse out there that is just needing a word of hope? What would you want to say yeah. to that person out there? Well, I, I mean, one of them has contacted me just last week um, telling me, she texted me, I can't do this. And I, my response was like, I get it. I know. I understand. I've, I've had so many days like that too. But the hope is that we can, um, every, you know, no matter how hard and bad a day is, um, there is at newness every morning Mm -hmm. to wake up to. And God is close to the brokenhearted. He is. And I have experienced God in new profound ways through this heartache. Um, And his promises for new beginnings are real. Mm -hmm. Like he promises us a new beginning and, and we will rebuild. And for me, like my marriage ended not everybody's marriage ends, but we mm-hmm. don't get to write that story. We mm-hmm. don't know what the new beginning or the redemption story is going to be. Yeah, but he—that is our God, as He's the Redeemer. He is—he's in the business of outcomes. So, mm-hmm. well, thanks, Gina, for being with us. And uh, listeners, you. we're glad you were here, and we look forward to having you back here again next week on the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com. 